<laughs> Hello, simpletons. Welcome to the Minimalist Private Podcast. I'm Joshua Fields Milburn. I'm here with Ryan Nicodemus, and we have a new friend here with us today. Michael Gunger mm. is here. Michael, thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm smiling coming from you calling people simpletons. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've reclaimed the term. I, I, I feel it. I just I needed a second to smile well, about it. Well, we are like the head simpletons. Like yeah, <laughs> we are the biggest simpletons of all. I'm with you. <laughs> Your whole book is about this in a way. So a simpleton is someone who is foolish and gullible. Yeah, <laughs> mm. but isn't that all of us? Yeah, yeah. And the most foolish of us are the ones who think we're not. Mm. And um, yeah. You wrote this book. It's called This. And um, the subtitle, I wrote down the subtitle here. It's uh, An Aggressively Neurotic Man Wrestles With His Beliefs. <laughs> that would have been a better subtitle. <laughs> I mean, Ryan, you think I'm neurotic. Oh, man. It, it's just, uh, you took my neuroses <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and put them on performance-enhancing mm, drugs. Yeah. Quite literally, in some cases. Yeah. <laughs> the book is called this. The, ah. <laughs> the actual subtitle is uh, Becoming Free. And um, we're mm. going to be talking about this today. In fact, we start out these maximal episodes with a, well, a segment we call More About Less. And it's really just, um, usually we read an article or something as a jump off point for a, a conversation. But since we have you here and we have your book here, I was hoping maybe we could read an excerpt from your book, and maybe you'd even be willing to read an excerpt. Is that possible? I would do it for you. I would oh, do it. I love it. So <laughs> here is the opening, because oh. I think this is going to spur some conversation, and then there's something else later I'd like to, to read as well. So this is from the opening chapter on page 15. It's called The Spa Part One. Mm. Spa Part One. I haven't read this in a while. The spa where I became an atheist was nice, but you know, Aunt Rhonda from the suburbs goes shopping at Ikea nice. <laughs> Thankfully, it was the middle of the day on a weekday, so there was hardly anybody in there. The young woman at the front desk smiled and greeted me, even though she probably wondered what a guy who looked like me was doing in a place like that. My appearance often rides the line between musician and homeless, and this didn't look like the kind of establishment that marketed to either demographic. Normally, I might have made sure to smile extra big and stand up extra tall, holding my shoulders back like my mother always told me to do, trying to assure the young woman that I was gainfully employed and housed and that my credit card would not be declined. Maybe if I'd been feeling better, I would have said something polite about the weather, but not this time. I was in no mood for small talk. Just get me into that steam room as soon as possible. I've got to get out of my head. How long do you want me to go? I'm not sure. You, you can go till the end of that little chapter there. You can keep going. Okay. we got a lot to talk about. <laughs> okay, great. The nearly constant theological and existential angst spirals had increasingly impeded my social skills as of late. Normal human interactions like a simple and sincere greeting were sullied with an underlying contextual circus in which I desperately tried to make sense of the entire universe through a phrase like, have a good day. <laughs> have a good day I'm supposed to have a good day while siphoning off the spoils of my privilege ignoring the tremendous suffering of the world a good day where I kill another who knows how many living organisms in order to eat and survive what is a good day in this cruel and cold universe then I would feel guilty come on Michael you need to show this person love because God is love and that love and justice is the arc of the universe and I'm supposed to be the very embodiment of that love in the world. Then again, why should I go through all the trouble of bending myself towards this supposed subtle arc of divine love in the universe if God doesn't even give enough of a damn to make sure all his little girls and boys in his good world have enough food to eat, clean water to drink, or that they don't get sold into the sex trade? That's the headspace I was in when the young woman at the front desk of the hotel spa greeted me. So sorry, but I was not in the mood for meaningless pleasantries. I barely said a word. I paid her and made a beeline for the men's locker room. I wondered what was wrong with me. On paper, life was good. Really good, actually. I had parents who loved me, a smart, gorgeous, talented wife, and a beloved daughter who was my very heart. I had lifelong devoted friendships with wonderful people. We owned a comfortable home near the Rocky Mountains with a little backyard that had a fire pit and a sandbox shaped like a pirate ship. 
Lisa and I had built a successful career together in the Christian music industry. People often stopped us on the street and told us how much our music meant to them. I had everything I needed and nearly everything I'd ever wanted. What was missing? Why was I so miserable? I knew. I just didn't want to know. My whole world was built on a lie. The spa had really nice showers. Double heads, incredible water pressure. Man, I loved a good shower. I had a good shower head at home, but why wasn't it this powerful? Where can even one purchase such a thing? How unfair is the world? Sometimes I wondered why we didn't all just commit suicide and get it over with. Mm. These showers were really exemplary, though. (laughs) 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 Sorry, I forgot. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I turned both nozzles on as hot as I could handle and stood under the unfairly impressive, nearly scalding jets of water. It was almost enough to make me forget about the whole my life is built on a lie thing. Almost. It's just hard to enjoy a day at the luxury spa when you're paying for it using fairy tales and violence. I was sort of a pseudo-Christian celebrity living in America, you know, the country founded on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and built on the backs of slaves. One nation under God, right? That mythical entity up there who watches and judges us and gives us permission to steal land and commit genocide against indigenous people. Everything in my life was built on these skeletons and lies. Oof. My gosh. Thank you for doing that. Yeah, oh. Thanks. Um, what a beautiful opening to a beautiful book. I, I got to say that there are like seven books I wish I would have written, and this mm. is one of them. Wow. Mm. Um, That's and, awesome. And because there's so much exploration here, I mean, it's a, and it's written sort of like a collage in a way, or maybe how an album might be written through these, you know, there's sort of different tracks that all mm. sort of work together. And um, I don't even really know where to start, but I, I think the best place to probably start is when Ryan and I and you were, were when we first were talking, Ryan was like, do you still consider yourself an atheist? And I'm like, well, I think he's a Christian. And, <laughs> and quite often these terms, they start to either, they take on so much meaning that they're rendered meaningless in a way. Like we've imparted so much um well, um, unnecessary baggage with them that they don't necessarily like if I say you're an atheist and he says you're an atheist, we might mean two completely different things. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of wrestling that was going on when you were writing this book and obviously before you wrote the book. Um, can we talk about that sort of um, the letting go of of belief and how how difficult that is? Mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about belief of you know, God or whatever, but, but any belief that we hold on to, we cling to, we, um, so difficult to let go. Mm. I think it's increasingly difficult, the more related to our identity it becomes Mm. when it's, when it's a belief that's not just an abstract, like, yeah, that's probably seems true to me. Mm -hmm. I'll believe that. But when it's more like, no, I believe like, I'm planting my flag mm-hmm. here and this is, it becomes part of who I am. Yes. And then it, then we defend it from a place of like existential terror. Yeah. Um, because to question that belief is to question who I am and what I am. And it feels like death. Mm. Yeah. I like, uh, there's a, and I had to listen to it a couple of times. I got your book on audio, which by the way, like with the music and the sound, I mean, it's, it's, the audiobook is beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, <clears throat> you're doing the, you're in a spa, another chapter about you being in a spa, which I totally <laughs> love because like, yeah, Josh and I love the cold plunge and the yeah. saunas and all that stuff. Um, you're doing a, an Islam practice because you were kind of at a point where you were just willing to kind of try anything. Mm-hmm. And you talk about the branch that you're holding on to in the river. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, maybe expound on that a little bit. That really resonated with me. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, I had just kind of come to the end of my rope. I, needing to hold on to this belief in God was was an existential issue for me. It, it, it Not just because of my personal identity, but my career was based on it. My, like all my secure attachment relationships were based on mm. belief in some way, like they were kind of centered on religion. And my dad was a 
pastor growing up and I was a professional worship leader at 18 years old. And, mm-hmm. and um, so keeping that, I was like anything I could do. I was just grasping at straws. Like, how can I, because the, the I know the story that, that they handed me as it was, wasn't, that was long gone. But I was like, can I put quotes around literally every word? <laughs> sure. I believe in God and, mm-hmm. I, and Jesus is the savior of the world, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, I, and I just was kind of running out of straws. Mm-hmm. And when I was, I started, I'd watched Homeland a little bit, that show and, and had just been watching that. And, and he had been doing Al-Akhba mm-hmm. uh, and he'd been like, bowing and i was like maybe that maybe that's it maybe maybe i'm just too western and too like um individualistic and there's like these practices that maybe maybe they have it how do i know they don't have so i'm on the floor of the spa in my bathrobe doing my best you know like horrible version (laughs) of a TV shows version. Homeland prayer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I oh. met Allah via Homeland. <laughs> via Homeland, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was like one of those moments in life where you just kind of are are graced with a a wide shot coming into your brain where I kind of like saw myself <laughs> doing this. <laughs> I, Oh, I have really become desperate. Mm. Um, beyond the point of of uh, like I'm just appropriating random religious things now at this point <laughs> to try to hold on. And I was like, "What am I?" And it was just the branch metaphor. It really felt like I had been as hard as I can, like in a river, a raging river, like holding on uh, yeah. um, to this branch, and it was. It wasn't a, 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 my will if it, that went like okay. I don't know. Let's let's try the river. It was just like I I can't. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, and it was like the last shred of um, resistance. Mm. And I just like died. Yeah. In that moment, I just kind of saw and and I just let go. Yeah. Man, I. I don't know if I had like an exact moment where I let go uh, being raised as one of Jehovah's Witnesses, but the one thing, um, I don't know, that really, I don't have a word for it. I want to say it's disturbing, but it's not disturbing, but it's it's unsettling, is that once you let go of that branch, like there's no going back. Yeah. Like once you have an understanding, um, and it's scary, like it really is. Um yeah, it's taken me a long time to kind of rebuild just a shred of what I was getting mm. from, you know, that version of Christianity. Yeah, and we were talking about uh, when we were down there taking some thumbnail photos. Uh, I was talking about how there are some things that I can plant my flag in, certain beliefs or understandings, maybe is a better way of saying it. Um, which the the oneness that you talk about in your book a lot, like I there's a visceral feeling I have of like this oneness with, mm. um, with how the universe operates. And I yeah. love the idea of calling, Hey, I'm God, you're God. Josh is God. Like this is a, it's all part of that oneness. And that to me, even talking about it, I'm getting like a little bit of chills. Cause mm-hmm. like that to me, um, it feels real mm-hmm. now. Again, that's an understanding. I don't know if I would like go out and preach this. Hey, this is what it is, but that is what I feel viscerally viscerally. But the there's also this feeling of like maybe you know maybe maybe aliens were just traveling through the Milky Way and they're like oh look at this little blue pearl this little gem mm-hmm. and then they came down and they're like oh wow there's life here and then they just like started breeding different animals and splicing and all of a sudden they came up with this sentient being where they were like oh wow like we don't know what to do with this now so we're just going to go ahead and leave. <laughs> 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 that's what you feel like has happened to you. you've been genetically engineered genetically by engineered. Ali- aliens no 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 i don't that's that that is a that's more of like a it's like maximalist a, yeah exactly it's like if i mean that to me when i think of that it's a fiction it's like a, it would make a good story for a book sure you know yeah, yeah. yeah i mean uh well so we're talking about 
belief, and obviously that's not a real belief right. you have, but there, there's a, <laughs> but I'm open to it. <laughs> yeah, why not? Well, I think, Michael, one of the things we do quite often is we realize the, the fallacy of a previous belief, of a past life, whatever you want to call it, and then therefore what you were doing, you know, praying on the floor, you're looking, well, what's the correct belief now? Right? Mm, yeah. How do I, I had the wrong belief. What's the right belief? Yeah. Not even stopping to question, maybe the belief is the problem. Mm. Yeah. So often we want to get back to, after something's been deconstructed, to reconstructing something. Yes. Um, I'm always a fan of like continuing. Like, yeah, maybe you're on, maybe you're on the path to like pulling apart uh, the problem itself. Because if the pro, if, if, if we look at the desire, I think what we what we often lose sight of is what we're trying to accomplish with our beliefs. Mm. And this is kind of I, what I, the whole minimalist philosophy, uh, from what I understand of it, it, it is kind of in that same vein of like you're trying to accomplish something that's not. You're trying to accomplish happiness or whatever fulfillment with stuff outside of you, right? And you're, you're, there's kind of a, an unconsciousness that happens in that you're like and nobody really believes at any point that this is gonna this extra mug that i just bought is gonna buy me forever happiness but mm -hmm. maybe like so, and and we lose sight i think with beliefs of what we're trying to accomplish and i think it goes back to our identity mm. and who am i and how do i feel special in this world mm-hmm and how do I feel separate and important and like the center of the universe? It's like the ego thing, you know, like, yeah. And so if I am a chosen child of God, that, that is not, that just happens to also be good for my ego. It's like, mm. but if I'm the, I'm the, the master being, we used to sing about how God hung the moon for me in my church and like, mm. <laughs> Wow. It was very convenient for yeah. <laughs> yeah, me being the center of the universe. Uh, and I'm not trying to like down anybody's beliefs or whatever. I think there's beautiful ways of talking about all this stuff. Um, but if we don't see what we're trying to accomplish, our basic desires sort of underlying our holding on to the beliefs, then they're just going to become sources of suffering for us. Mm. And that's that's exactly where I was going. In fact, the there's a chapter here, page 57. I'm just going to read a quick ex excerpt here because you talk a lot about suffering in the book. And this is something Ryan and I have been talking about for the last three years. I, I got a really bad illness and thought I was dying. And there was immense like physical pain, but there was also a tremendous agony, a suffering, a holding on to a past that wasn't even possible anymore. And and my life was changed pretty dramatically. And some of that was actually explored on our, our private podcast and in real time. But we saw I was suffering way before I was suffering, so to speak. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We we find ways to suffer through mm -hmm. striving, through goal setting, through yeah. uh, consumption, etc. Mm. So this is uh, we're trying to end our own suffering. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And in fact, the, yeah. that's one of the greatest sources of our suffering right, is yeah. the attempt to end one suffering. <laughs> mm. And um, we end up holding on. It's like, well, you know how I'll end the suffering? I'll cling to it tighter. Right. Right. This is uh, from page 57, the spa part two. And you go on to talk about, actually, you know what? I'm going to skip that for the sake of time, but let me go to page 87 real quick. Cause you have this line about suffering where you said, um, I had once again gotten lost in the weeds of belief mm. and you're talking about, there's like sort of this enlightenment moment and you had several in the book through different exploration and then, of course, that dissipates. We start believing something else oh, yeah, or something yeah. we previously believed, and then it leads to suffering. And then, so what are we talking about, really, when we're talking about mm. suffering? Mm. Yeah. To me, it feels like there's kind of two basic energies or experiences <laughs> and it's 
in my experience, it's it's yes and it's no. Mm. It's kind of like the ones and zeros of programming. It's the yin and the yang. It's whatever. However, as duality becomes experienced, a no becomes necessary. And the no is a thorough, just like <sighs> love is kind of, if you've ever just felt so at home in a moment, you're with somebody or with a lover or you're eating a, an amazing meal or you're watching a sunset or you're hearing some music and your just whole body just kind of goes, yes. And you're just like firmly grounded in this moment and these sensations. And it, you can kind of feel the yes of that. It's like suffering is the opposite. It's the complete opposite where everything is going, no. Mm. And it's a resistance mm. to what is as opposed to a, a flow with what is or a, or a, uh, and so suffering is something's wrong with this as it is. And I do not want to be, it's a, it's a moving away from mm. the moment. The whole thesis of the book, basically it's called this, mm-hmm. but the suffering has to do with that. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about that dichotomy? Yeah. And it's interesting because then when you go, okay, so suffering is resisting this. So I'm going to make sure I'm not resisting this. I'm going to resist my resistance. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is what happens with the whole minimalism thing. Mm. Oh, the consuming didn't buy me, uh, didn't buy me happiness. So maybe getting rid will also buy me. And it's like, well, no, 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 no. Maybe it'll make some room, but it's not going to, letting go of your stuff is also not going to give you perpetual bliss. Yeah. That, that's a different that. And it, be, it can become a different way of clinging and a different no. It's mm-hmm. like, no, no, my stuff, no. Mm-hmm. As opposed to yes, space. Right. Like saying, moving into something with a yes versus a no, it's not about the external situation. You can, I think you can feel, uh, sorry, this is a, a darkened, but the difference between making love and rape mm. is yes or no. Yeah. It's like if you want it or you don't. And so when you live your life in a perpetual no, no matter how good it is, if you have all the riches of the world and it's, you're still using that to, because you're trying to get away from some aspect of yourself or your life, it's never, it's not even, it's not even not satisfying. It actually becomes hell. It becomes like, um, so the worst and by the way, none of this is ever intended. The, the, the tricky thing when you start talking about this um, is it's very easy to quickly go to some abstract scenario. So you're saying that this person who's suffering, it's their fault because they're saying no. And it's like, no, that's not what the point of this is. This is for a subjective experience. If you start applying it to <clears throat> some other thing out there outside of yourself, it's completely lost its value and meaning and even using these kind of words. That's right. Um, but it's an invitation to notice the present moment mm. and to notice, are you resisting it or are you saying yes to it? And if you're resisting it, can you say yes to the fact that you're resisting it? Because mm. that's where the, the opposite upside downness of it is. It's not like, oh, I'm resisting it. I better not resist it. It's like, oh, I'm resisting it. Ah, beautiful. Mm. Uh-huh. Mm. And then somewhere that yes kind of sneaks in and and becomes like uh, yeast in the dough. Mm. There's a part in your book, I think you might be quoting a philosopher, but you mentioned how like suffering can, the experience of suffering can potentially like bring you closer to God in a way. Mm -hmm. Um, Do you mind expounding on that a little bit? Because it was just like a quick line. Yeah, I think that was a quote from Maharaji, yeah. who was um, Ramdas's guru, and and he said, "I love suffering; it brings me so close to God." <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that that you can hear like immediately the yes, mm-hmm. the yes, like you can't get him to say no. Suffering. Oh, yeah. What about suffering? No, we shouldn't be suffering. Well, now he's suffering, mm. right? But, oh, suffering, isn't it? Tasty. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Love that. Then you're not, he's not suffering. Yeah. Well, I think we're constantly trying to run away from suffering and yeah. no one wants to go out of their way to suffer. Right. So what I'm about to say isn't saying like, go out and find ways to suffer. But when I find 
myself in some moments of suffering, if I can step back and instead of saying no, 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 I can say like, dude, like how lucky are you to even experience this like the suffering that you have? Like mm. the Iraq doesn't experience suffering. Like how lucky am I to be sentient enough to even have these negative feelings, these negative emotions? And um, again, it doesn't mean to say go out and suffer, but when we find these moments of suffering, for me, I have found a way to, to say yes to it. Um, yeah. And it certainly has helped like with a lot of childhood traumas and stuff and mm. um, even sadness, like to experience sadness, like what a, like I've been able to look at that emotion as like, like a beautiful experience. Yeah. Well, cause a second ago, you, like we call these emotions, negative emotions sometimes. Mm. And we think we tend to think of them as negative, but they're, they're just sensations. Yeah. And there's this practice I really like called existential kink that, uh, <laughs> do expand. But it, it might <laughs> no, we should just end it right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, basically the practice is looking at the things that we think we don't like that we, we think are negative emotions or the patterns in our lives that we think we're just so averse to and, and actually finding, am I getting something out of that? Like, is there some kind of like deep kinky mm. sensational, like being afraid is exciting. We, we pay m money to go to amusement yeah. parks and watch scary movies. And like, we like a thrill. Mm. Yes. There's something about like, Ooh, I don't know if we're going to make it that we like if we admit it, if we're admitted to ourselves. So we, we feel afraid. Oh, I'm so afraid. I just I need to solve this. Mate, what if you like how you're feeling on some deep, deep, deep level? Mm, um, yeah. And so this practice is kind of like getting down into the basement of some of these feelings and patterns and being like, is there anything I enjoy about this? And that just feeling fear as sensation, just feeling anger as sensation. And like, whoa, what does that feel? It's, it's, it's electric. Mm. There's like a sensation like, yeah, everything's wrong. Oh, wow, this is exciting. <laughs> it's quite a ride. Um, any of the things that we think are negative, I think when we're resisting, I think when we're resisting them, that is kind of what's freezing them. Um, it's what's fueling them. And when we can learn to like feel them and say yes to them and just accept them and release them as they are, just let them be, then they tend to be very short-lived. That's yeah. right. Oh, yeah. In, in the book, you, you talk about the sort of, um, well, how, how freeing it is to, to let go and experience those things. Quite often we think of enlightenment or whatever you want to term you want to use for that truth, uh, et cetera. You, we, we think of, like, well, I'm never going to be angry now. I'm never going mm. to be upset. I'm never going to be discontented. And that's, not enlightenment that that's mania in a way right you know my, my father was was uh manic depressive schizophrenic and mm -hmm. and suffered from bouts of mania and it seems as though all, we're almost striving for yeah. that mania not realizing how troublesome that actually is and how not troublesome maybe anger or sadness are what is troubling is the the holding on to it mm. Yeah, and when you think about it in terms of the yes and no, if if the sensations, these are all just vibrations and sensations and experiences, and if suffering is saying no to life, and we're going, no, I don't want those sensations, and no, I don't want life as it is, um, and full life, or enlightenment, or salvation, or whatever your words are, of, of what does it mean to be like fully alive, um, is a yes to life. So that, why, why would sensations cease to be a part of it? Or why would emotions mm. are fantastic. Emotions are the colors yeah. of life yeah. and, and the sensations of our bodies. And, our, and uh, if we don't get stuck on them, meaning if we don't avoid feeling them, that's really like we try to not feel them and then they control us. Mm. Yes. And then mm. we're lost in them, we're imprisoned by them. But if we just said yes to them and really felt them, then we're alive and we're, and they're something we get to experience rather than being the prisons that we are trapped in. Yeah. Mm. There's a lot of letting go in the book um, because, well, you're sort of forced to, you know, you tell a story of your father 
cheating on your mother and that sort of breaking up the home in a way and and that of course there's a clinging to the way things were even though that's not serving you necessarily and i see this i see a lot of this there's almost like this incredible courage that it takes and it's necessary as well to move on we have to let go of of either those old stories or the old way we wished things would be that never came to fruition. And I've noticed this recently. You have a really great podcast called The Liturgists, and you made a sharp turn about a year or so ago. And I saw some incredible courage in that because it seems to me that with the book, I'm sure you've pissed some people off. Before the book, you pissed some people off. (laughs) And this was not intentional. This wasn't like, I'm going to go out and see how many people I can piss off. He's a professional instigator. (laughs) (laughs) And then with this new direction on the liturgists, which by the way, patrons, um, the minimalists are a Patreon supporter of the liturgists. And and if you, you. uh, I I would encourage you to go check it out because they offer a lot more than just the, the public podcast. And also they're one of the few podcasts that aren't peppered with advertisements. So Mm. we're grateful for that as well. But you did, something that was true to yourself, which also meant like, hey, I can't keep clinging to this for you. But there's a courage there because, hey, guess what? I realize that some people might not understand this. Can you expand on the change that you made, but also the courage that it takes to to move ahead? Mm, Thank you. Um, Well, in our... In our little community of the liturgists, we have a lot of people who have similar stories uh, to mine and and ours. In fact, that they started in some sort of like more constricted in religion or uh, some kind of community that they didn't feel free to ask questions and evolve. And 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 so the liturgist has been a space where people can ask questions and discuss in a non-judgmental space. And I'm, how they want to live, what they want to believe, how they want to see things. And uh, for this last season, we really, we wanted to explore, because there's there's an, a lot of us have like just left it. And for a long time, I kind of like ran from my roots and from my, uh, anything that had Christian language on it. Or I was kind of like, I just didn't have a great feeling about it. I didn't really want to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this was a, personally, I had, I had been making peace, not just making peace, but recognizing some of the beauty of the tradition that I came from and Mm -hmm. saw in the words of Jesus after I had gone through my journeys and studying Buddhism and and Hinduism and hearing Ramdas talk about Jesus. And he would say these quotes from Jesus. And I'd be like, Jesus did say that. Mm -hmm. Whoa. Like, Mm -hmm. And I kind of uh, rediscovered Jesus through a different lens after I had walked away. Yeah. Um, and there was something about that process that was healing for me and that I, I didn't feel like I had to run away from my roots anymore. Because when you're a lot of times we think, um, I, I don't want to, I don't like picking on any particular groups, but there's a, there's a group on the internet, they refer to themselves as ex-evangelicals. And I'm like, cool, but if you're identifying yourself based on ex-evangelicals, it's kind of no surprise that their main source of what they talk about and the fuel of their community is still evangelical Christianity. Mm, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's still being fueled by it. It's still running on evangelical Christianity rather than like moving on and and graduating or... (laughs) being an alum alumnus of evangelical Christianity, it becomes a shadow of it in a way. Yeah. And and still the same thing. It's just, I don't know. And so I was like, can we, can we go back? I know it, this will be a little touchy for some people. Can we go back into that and discover like, if, if we, if we didn't make this about a system of beliefs that you need to believe in order to be okay, or to be on the good team, or this wasn't about, you need to do something though. So that someday in the future, you'll be okay. And you're, great hereafter or whatever. And we just looked at this as like, these are words spoken. What if we assumed that they're words spoken to enrich our lives in this moment in some way, like tech, like technologies in a way that's kind of like 
here here's some words that might might make your life a little nicer <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, in this moment. And what if we just looked at that through that lens and in order to heal, in order to, we have all this language all over the culture, even if you're not Christian, you have in God, we trust on our money and it's everywhere. All the mythological Mm -hmm. stories that we all swim in are very Christian, even if you're not Christian, um, identifying as a Christian. And so, yeah, we tried, we, we, we kind of did that in the last season of, of looking at Christian Christian technologies through a non-dual lens, which for some people really pissed them off. For, for other people, it really was not interesting. But for some of us, it was pretty healing. Yeah. 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 I really enjoyed that. Yeah. Uh, we could talk about what non-dual is. I think yeah. some people might not be familiar with the term, but yeah. some people... I've heard it referred to as interconnectedness or one-ism, mm. oneness. Um, there are different ways to to describe it, but one of the things that Ryan and I talk about quite often is too often we moralize everything. It's binary. It's good or bad. It's right or wrong. It's mm-hmm. just or unjust. Yeah. And part of this is a problem with just the limitations of language. But the other part is thinking that you know the constant otherizing of other people or other beliefs, other ideologies or whatever, we define ourselves by what we're in opposition to, as Mm. you just uh, alluded to. Mm. But when you explored this, this non-dual approach, um, it seems to me, and you talked about this in your podcast, you lost a lot of your audience in in doing that. Mm -hmm. Now, Ryan and I, over a year ago, we set out to, to, um, get rid of a lot of our audience so we actually did some because we're minimalist true to minimalist quite little i mean we we got rid of hundreds of thousands of people on our mailing list like if you hadn't opened the last five emails we just wow. yeah there was you know, a ton of people and uh we wrote an essay encouraging everyone to unfollow or unsubscribe <laughs> and <laughs> i love it and in doing so, but it wasn't just like, hey, you should get rid of this. It's like, hey, if this is no longer serving you, yeah. if it's not adding value, and that, that was the clear thing with, if you haven't opened an email, then clearly you're not getting value from it. And that's fine. I, 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 If you get value from it, that's wonderful. If not, then that's too bad, but I don't want to be the one who's like... Con- cluttering your life now. Right. Yeah, yeah I'm going to yeah. drag you through all this clutter. Yeah. Wow. And it seems to me that inadvertently you may have done something mm. similar with your podcast. Wow, that's a nice, that's a really positive way of looking at it. (laughs) 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 Yeah, I I hope so. I, it's interesting. I've been doing a lot of shadow work this year and last year and, and like puppets or shed, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Like puppets. Look at dog. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like pretty good moose. Yeah. <laughs> I'll remember um, that one. What? I'll have to remember yeah, that one. It. It's good. Um, no, like shadow. I've like the unconscious corners of of my life. There's this method that another method mm. that is. Uh, after existential kink is with existential kink. It's the most powerful practice that I've ever come across. It's called the Sedona method. Uh, it's just the same basic stuff. It's, it's still just surrendering and saying yes, but it just leads you through a really practically powerful way of going into all the nooks and crannies of your life. Uh, and, and finding ways to put yes in that's not its language, but that's how I'm, talking about it but anyway uh the shadows of looking at like the unconscious patterns and unconscious motivations of i think you know i've found sometimes that my need for approval my desire for approval uh in religious context or with people who i had some trauma and some like some pain around that, like for, for religious people to like me. And I think sometimes I had been like, well, screw you. I'm going to make sure you disapprove of me Mm. in unconscious ways. Oh, wow. Uh, which is kind of getting back to that being defined by what you're against. And that was in unconscious ways of like, I'm still being affected by my desire for their approval in some way on an upside yes. down way. Yeah. I'm, now I'm, I'm being affected by their desire for their disapproval. Exactly. And needing the approval or needing their disapproval is effectively the same thing. It mm. is. 
And I know that's been that's one of the biggest traps in humanity. I think we all suffer from it to a certain extent. Some people weigh more than others. You know, the Enneagram threes, for example. Um, <laughs> and and so the need for approval becomes a type of prison mm-hmm. because whose approval, right? Yeah. Like the general populace. Okay. <laughs> is that possible? <laughs> but I need the approval of what? 300 million people yeah. or, you know, it's like whenever, you know, if you have a bunch of thumbs up on a video or whatever, you neurose over the thumbs down. Right. Yeah. Even though it's, let's say it was even a one-to-one ratio. You got 10,000 thumbs up, 10,000 thumbs down, which anyone uh, on the internet is like, oh my God, what a terrible, terrible, you've been ratioed. Yeah. Totally. yeah. But <laughs> but we don't stop saying, oh my God, 10,000 people, people like this. 10,000 people. Yeah. yeah. 50% of the people like me. Yeah. I never, <laughs> the, the first month we started The Minimalists, 52 people visited our website. And it, I was elated. And most yeah. people were like, what? 52 people? Well, because I spent the last decade writing things that everyone said no to. Agents and publishers. And yeah. And now finally 52, 52 That's a lot of If you have all of them in the room, that's a lot of people. Are yeah. like, I like this. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow, thanks, guys. <laughs> and it's all about perspective yeah. there, right? Mm. And so in a way, you let go of the need for approval and that allowed you to change directions in a way that didn't forcefully or by your own volition stop suffering, but the suffering eased as a result, it yeah. seems like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was. And really going back to the identity thing is, is where it's not even it, it kind of lost its ability to, if it, when it came into the light of, my beliefs in, for me, the way I, I, Enneagram five hmm. head, head based, like I'm going to use my beliefs and constructs to feel like a special, special boy in the world. Hmm. Um, seeing that relationship between who I want to be or who I think I am and me needing to figure out what God is or what truth is seeing that relationship and letting that come out of the shadows into the light it revealed it in a way that, like you said earlier, you I couldn't go back from it. So I can't, I couldn't unsee, ooh, I wonder if God is real, being separated from, well, can I get everybody to think I'm cool? <laughs> or can, <laughs> yes. I, can I, will my dad be proud of me and can I be a special boy? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just saw the ego fuel. Right. That, and I couldn't, it was too clear to unsee it. Um, and so then that just, it lost its power. It's not like I don't have questions yeah. and I can fully go into a conversation about if we're aliens mm-hmm. or if that, and, but now I'm just doing it as fun. It's yeah, as, fun. Out of like, curiosity. It's zero threatening to me. If right. I find out there literally was a big guy in the sky with a toga named Yahweh mm-hmm. who crafted humans from a rib and a, naked people in a garden i'd be like that's so weird <laughs> that's amazing yeah and yeah. i would have the exact same reaction if i found out it was aliens like i i don't care yeah i oh. don't care because yeah. it's not my identity anymore it's just thoughts about a yeah. uh a story of origin it's like this it's all it's infinite mystery is the ultimate because if those aliens came who made them? Right. Right. Or if Yahweh made it, who made him? Yeah. 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 Or what, like, where, there's not, there's no answers that ever, like, complete anything. It's just, yeah. you're just pushing it out one level farther. So it's just one big infinite question mark to me, and then we get to play. Yeah. hundred percent, man. No, I, I, uh, I have appreciated being comfortable with not knowing what and not knowing why. Um, more and more it's like it it keeps me engaged in a way like you said with uh just coming up with random thoughts and theories and being able to explore and that is actually more fun than this is how it is this is how it was this is how it's going to be um and like you said there are still questions with all with all of that what i really appreciate about your book man is like you don't you don't really um because you said something earlier you mentioned like christian myths or something like that and I think when people hear that, they, especially Christians, will be like, oh, well, he's saying that those stories mm. are wrong. And that's not what you're saying at no. all. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for bringing that up. Mm. Uh, you mentioned Alan Watts earlier, and I love yeah. how he talks about myths. 
They're basically just like meaning making constructs. Yeah. Yes. And it's they're not stories. They're stories. And story not just not just like untrue stories. That's a lot of times how we use myths colloquially. Right. It's like we use it pejoratively. A tr- pejoratively. Just a myth. Right. right. No, a myth is like our nation is a myth. It's a story that we use, but it's very powerful. Right. Mm-hmm. And in power in negative ways and positive ways and whatever. Our myths are there. I don't think they're, I think you would need a different meta myth to say a myth is good or bad. <laughs> you need <laughs> a bigger myth that's <laughs> determining what good and bad means to you. Mm. Um, it's the, it is the meaning creating constructs yes. that we need. Mm. Right. Now you, when you said a moment ago, like you, when you realize something, it's quite often difficult to go back because you see it differently now, but I think one of the biggest problems we have is we still try to go back. You know, I know several pastors who are, don't believe what they used to believe, but they maintain being pastors because there's a mm-hmm. paycheck involved mm-hmm. in it, right? Mm-hmm. And I assume you ran into that as well in the oh, music yeah. world, right? Because it was like, well, I don't, I can't piss off this audience because if I do, I can't eat. Yeah. Yeah. And so going back to your question, a couple, question or two ago of, like why I made the shift. I, I do think there's some aspect of me that is an artist and kind of like, I like creating things and saying things that I can't find being created or said anywhere else, or just that feel like I could say it in a unique way. And I feel like that season of the podcast had kind of felt more like a piece of art to me almost mm-hmm. like, uh, because I've had all these experiences within the belly of the, I don't say beast, but that's pejorative, mm-hmm. but within my my home and my my uh, university of Christianity mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I graduated from. <laughs> yeah, I don't even like that. I, I'm trying to get away from any of the, like. It's not. I still find value in it. I still yeah. find beauty in it. So it's. I haven't left it. I also find beauty in atheism. So you both asking earlier, like, are you an atheist or you're a Christian? Mm. Sure. Like, mm. what what are we talking about? What, yeah. And who's the I that you're talking about? Mm. <laughs> who's the what part of me? Yeah. Is that is identify? I'm I'm not really identifying with any one particular belief, but I can see how the uh, accepting the impermanence of atheism of atheism and go, there's no like other thing that's, that's making sure you're going to be, and and some of the call to responsibility and some of the, the beautiful aspects of nihilism that mm. might, that might be called from atheism as a response to theism. I think beautiful. It's a beautiful balance. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. Mm. And Christianity has so much stuff. I'm like, yes, Jesus said amazing things. There's amazing things in the Bible. Um, and practices that are so powerful. And so when I'm not saying no to any of it, then I'm, I'm not suffering from it. I just get to right. play with it. Yeah. Mm. It, it seems to me that when you look at Jesus that way, he loses his dogma and sort of the, the, the constant um, legalism that we apply to, to any of these worldviews. It struck me when you were like, you know, Christian, atheist, whatever. It's not like a particular part of your body. Like, well, my liver's Christian, but my lungs are Islamic. (laughs) Uh, you know, my, my nose is non-believer like whatever it is. No, 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 no. What are we actually talking about when we talk about these things? We, we use labels to describe things, and labels are really, really helpful until they're not, when they become dismissive. And sometimes we use these labels to, oh, that's good, that's bad, that's good, that's mm. bad. We're just setting these things aside so we no longer even have to deal with it. Mm. Yeah. And if we didn't have words for these things and concepts and social um, boundary markers with these things, we wouldn't even think of these dualisms. Like, we don't have dualisms for... Are you a juicer? Are you a juicist? <laughs> or a or a non-juicist? <laughs> it's like, what do you mean? Do I drink juice? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> I don't have a, Oh, so you are a juicist. I, I knew have, it. I but I don't have a dog in the fight. Like I I'm not going like juice is the thing. 
<laughs> like if I want some juice, I'll have some juice. Yeah. But I'm not really thinking about it. Right. Because yeah. it's not associated with my identity. It's just yes. kind of like a thing that sometimes happens. Yeah. Until it does become associated with your identity. If it, yeah. If those were words, we'd be like, no, I'm a juicist. Yeah. And <laughs> and that that defines me as a person. It also defines who I'm against because yeah. it's almost as though we need and maybe there's a biological imperative here as well because we 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 formed in tribes and and there was an other that was terrifying to us whether it was other human beings who are outside of our group of 40 to 150 people or maybe there's the other like non-humans like yes i we're supposed to be terrified of lions it makes sense yeah. and so we otherize there in a context where you don't even need language for it you simply understand that something other is dangerous but now we're doing it with juice and all of its equivalents yeah uh, we have some surprise questions here from our audience. I thought we maybe we could dive into a few of those. Helen has a question for us, Alabama. I have a strong belief that it's disrespectful to get rid of something if someone else took the time and money to give it to me. How do I let go of this belief and make decluttering less emotionally draining? Mm. I think you might call this a limiting belief. Yeah. And I understand where it's birthed from, right? This is also yeah. the need for approval that we've sort yeah. of been talking about on this Maximal episode. It seems to me that if I'm afraid of something because it's going to upset someone else, yeah. A, it's a bit of hubris for me to think that I have the power to upset you because only you have the power to upset you. I mm. think all the great spiritual teachers would would teach us that. Mm-hmm. But it certainly feels like you can upset me, Michael. Yeah, right. Mm. It really does. Yeah, we disempower ourselves. I'll mention that Sedona method again because he he has this. He keeps calling you to the basic de- underlying desires to notice what's happening when you have something like this happen. Like, oh, I notice I I feel like I believe this, or I, I'm I'm concerned that uh, if this happens, it's gonna. And, and we get lost in kind of the stories that have spun out, and so it's kind of it's the method calls you back into kind of deep, 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 deep down. What's the underlying desire here? And the three basic desires that it keeps calling up that all of this stuff is built on according to this book. And I, it holds true in my experience as I've been doing this method, Mm. the desire for control, the desire for approval and the desire for safety or security. And if Mm. you can find, and the, and there's nothing problem. There's no problem with having control or having approval or having safety or security. But when we want them, when we're we're trying to get them, we don't have them. Yes. Mm, yeah. When we're looking for approval, when we're seeking approval, it's because we we're actually pushing approval away in this sort of upside down way. And mm. it uh, and it even practically tends to play out that way. Like if you are with somebody, if you ever hang out with somebody, and you really feel like they're trying to get your approval you're kind of less likely to give it to them, right? You're like, this person feels really needy or really like trying Mm. to kiss my ass or whatever. And uh, if you're just coming from a place of having approval already, you're more likely to be liked. Yes. Yeah. If you're coming from a place where you're worried about being disrespectful and how they're going to feel and you're trying to get their approval you're probably more likely to get into that energy. <laughs> like, mm. don't think of a white elephant. Don't think of a white elephant, right? <laughs> you're like, when you're resisting, as opposed to like, oh, I'm noticing a desire for approval. Can I say yes to that? Like, not yes to the story of it, just to the sensation of it. Notice that it's here and just release that and just let that go. And then we'll find, like, you obviously have, uh, sorry, I forget her name. Helen. Helen have a desire to respect people and, and to respect, have respect and, and love and, and dignity. And if you can just rest in that and trust that your decisions will reflect that as you're kind of inhabiting that space, as opposed to trying to move all the chess pieces, right? I need to do this in order to mm. uh, make people. And, and, and that's where our limiting beliefs, they're, they're fruit on the tree. Like is, if you can get, down into the branches and into the roots and into the soil, some of that fruit, it really just takes care of itself. Yeah. yeah. Man, if I had a pithy answer, I would say something like, uh, there are more ways to gain someone's approval than making yourself miserable. Mm. And that's what Helen is doing. She's making herself miserable to gain yeah. someone. And there's a lot, there's so many more meaningful ways. 
to show compassion to someone, to gain someone's approval than to be like, look, I'm in, I'm sitting in misery for you. Yeah. yeah. To make yeah. yourself miserable <laughs> is not a great way to gain someone else's approval. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And they're not going to actually feel loved for me being miserable. Right. No, because they don't want that from you either. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless they're you're in some sort of weird S&M relationship. But even then, <laughs> there's a... There's a non-suffering. Yeah, in that no, there's, a, still a, there's safe a consent word. under that. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yes. if it's non-consensual, well, it's no fun. I really am trying to find a way to weave in the dog story that you talk about through your book. And uh, so when I was, so there's a spoiler alert. If you're listening to this, like I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna tell this story. I'm gonna do a really bad job of paraphrasing it. But it's about this man who doesn't want to walk his dog in the rain, and he starts figuring out. The, a way to avoid walking his dog in the rain. And not only that, but he, he moralizes almost like walking yeah. the dog in the rain. And when I was listening to the story, where I thought it was going was, um, Hey, uh, <laughs> it's going to rain in life. And if you think that there's like, <laughs> if you think that, if you think that there's an entity out there, that's going to not make it rain. You're, you're, you're delusional. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. and, that I thought the story was going to like, oh, this man is going to accept the fact that, <laughs> hey, man, it's not about avoiding the shit. It's about how do you walk through the shit, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, but it turns out, again, spoiler Wait, alert. It's raining shit in this metaphor? Yes, exactly. No. <laughs> so, I well, mean, the character in the story, it kind of... It, it, it might as well be. Yeah, it might, yeah, it might as well be. It, so, yeah. spoiler alert. Fast forward 15 seconds if you don't want to hear the end of this parable uh, throughout <laughs> this book. But he realizes that there is no fucking dog <laughs> like, like he's like wait a minute i don't even have a dog <laughs> and and yeah. i think i think there's something there for helen like in that story of like you you think yes. that you think there's some but there's really helen like you're making this up yourself you're making up a problem that isn't a problem yes yeah here's the spoiler on this is like it's actually on the cover oh right right. and and so (laughs) the beautiful thing you did with this with the book which by the way i agree with ryan the the i just started the audiobook version last week but i I just i read the actual physical book when it first came out and i will tell you this that the cover it's it's a well there's a dual cover here um (laughs) so you have this real simple cover of a man who appears to be walking his dog in the rain but of course when you Open up the cover since you've already spoiled it. And yeah. He's just walking an empty leash. An empty leash, yeah. And then, of course, there's this uh, cover you designed clearly on mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, that's gorgeous, man. The second cover. Oh, dude. Um, that's great. And it's like the most simple cover for this and then also sort of the most complex. And the metaphor is obviously that we we are both, you know, we are, we are simple, we are complex, we tend to make things way more complex, but also there is a, a simplicity within the complexity. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful book, by the way. And um, yeah, I, w- I would encourage folks, we'll put a link to this, which is the book, mm-hmm. in the show notes. Also a link to the Liturgist podcast, which I would encourage you to support on Patreon as well. Let's, uh, let's do a couple more questions while we have time. Donna has a question for us. The decision to sell my home and move into an apartment after 34 years was met with mixed emotions (laughs) from friends and relatives, but it's the best thing I ever did for myself. Mm. How can we maintain peace when loved ones question our beliefs? Mm. I think Mm. that the the last part of that question is really the question I wanted to get to here Mm -hmm. because that is the question behind the question. Right. Yes, I'm making one decision. It's frustrating my friends. Quite often because they think what? Oh, is, if he does something different, that might that must be a judgment on my beliefs, my mm. my worldview. A judgment on my actions if you don't act in accordance with my yeah. actions. And you certainly stumbled into that a bunch of times, you know, throughout yeah. throughout this book even. Yeah, there's there's kind of two aspects of that 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 I would like to look at a little bit because one aspect is that sometimes us growing and doing what we need to do is going to cost relationships and Mm -hmm. is going to cost, um, you know, approval. Mm -hmm. Some people aren't going to approve. Right. And that's when we have to weigh like how important is this, you know, 
maybe maybe you we have a conversation about the aliens and i'm like that seems true yeah do how important is that that i need to broadcast that? i'm going to change my whole podcast about that now i'm going to tell all my family about this right. and now it's becoming an identity <laughs> thing how important are the th- like are there parts of my growth and evolution that that can just be for me and i don't have to get other people on board with it yeah um so there's that aspect of it but there's another aspect that I've been discovering more and more, which is that the thing that we're afraid of being rejected or shamed or uh, heretical and to your world, the less shame that I carry about that myself, Uh. the less like problem I have with it, it doesn't last long for the other person I found usually. Mm. It's like, it kind of reminds me, I, I have this friend, uh, who was going through a really hard time a few years ago and she's a celebrity and she was going through kind of a, she was just totally offline, just totally in her own world. Cause she was going through all this stuff. And she just found out this year that she was kind of canceled back mm-hmm. then. There was like a, some, some oh, in- wow. internet. She had said something that was like, people were all mad and, and she didn't know. <laughs> oh, she came out as a juicess, didn't she? <laughs> but she didn't know till now. Yeah. And it didn't wow. affect anything. Right. But she didn't resp- she didn't react. She wasn't like, oh, this, but this is what I'm defending my position. She didn't get in a fight and it didn't affect. Yeah. She just like, I got canceled and I never knew. <laughs> yes. And there's something about that wow. energy that I think like, I can't believe you're selling your house and your apartment. You're like, yeah, isn't that wild? And if you don't, if you don't own the shame, if you, if you don't carry the shame yourself, it's like they don't have anything to lock onto. Sometimes yes. it's Ooh. like it's just kind of you become a smooth surface, and they're like clawing at it, and just like ah, yeah. <laughs> well, it- I don't think that's a good idea, right. and then it's done. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, do you want to go get some coffee? Or you know, it's just like <laughs> right, we go get coffee now. <laughs> if you don't let them, if it doesn't come from you, there's no mm. resonance. There's no like sticking point. Yeah, we had uh, porn star Lisa Ann on the podcast, mm-hmm. and uh, it was the week after we had Erwin McManus on the podcast. <laughs> wow, that's <laughs> awesome! And um, they actually talked about a lot of similar things. And you're sort of the uh, you're the confluence of the two. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the best. <laughs> you're like that a cross be my between. bio. My bio <laughs> yeah. a cross between Erwin <laughs> McManus and. What was her name? Lisa, Lisa Ann. Ann. Lisa Ann. What was her name? What? Uh-huh. Wink, wink. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I've never seen it either. Um, <laughs> anyway, she, uh, there was a question that came up from an audience member and they said, you know, it was, they were asking about dealing with shame and she goes, well, I don't have to deal with my shame. The biggest thing is I have to deal with a lot of other people's yeah, shame. Yeah. The shame they try to hurl onto me yeah. based on their own judgments, yes. expectations, yeah. beliefs, worldviews, opinions. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's almost like they look at Donna here and they're like, well, Donna's happy with what she did, but I can never do that. And if I... If if I could do that, then I like they lose their identity that they're wrapped up in. So then they hurl their shame at Donna to be like, mm. "You're crazy for doing this," because I think it's crazy if I ever did that. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's easier said than done to let go of shame. But yeah, but uh, but yeah, especially maybe it's a little bit easier when Donna realizes that it's not the shame she has to let go of as much as when someone hurls their shame at her, she doesn't have to catch it. Yeah. yeah. <sighs> And it plays out in ways practically where it's like, if I feel shame that they're, I take that shame on or I've let that projected shame cause my shame to project back at them, yeah. then I'm going, I keep wanting to bring it up and talk about it and get them to agree. And like, I keep talking to my dad about, mm. he's got to see things my way. Or I mm. can't, and, and sometimes there's a shame fuel under that because it's like, I'm not okay having any dissonance or disagreement. So we, and I need you to see me as being okay. Otherwise I don't feel okay. Mm-hmm. But if I just feel okay and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I understand that this is a, a bizarre thing to do in your perspective. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your input. Yeah. Right. But, but it's important to me. Yeah. And you just left it there. Who in the world is going to keep coming back? Right. It's just like, <laughs> Yeah, if, if they do eventually, then they're insulting or attacking you, then you can create some distance Boundaries, there, yeah. right? But it sounds like right now it's it's not about that. It's just the need to appease them, to 
get their veneration or validation yeah. is keeping you stuck in some old belief that is no longer serving you. Mm-hmm. And sorry, one more thing is like, we think that the lie of that that's built into that is that we think that by keeping that shame, by like protecting that, that by not, by avoiding doing the thing um, that we want to do, that will, that will keep away the shame, but it's actually the thing that's creating the shame. Yes. Mm. We're actually creating the shame by trying to avoid it. Mm. Yeah. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Mm. Michael, I want to acknowledge you. We're actually recording these out of order. We're doing the maximal before the minimal. Yeah. Folks, check out this. Such a great book. Subtitles becoming free. If you enjoy podcast, listen to the audiobook version because it's very highly produced by a musician. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you do a great, great job reading it. Uh, thank it's you. a beautifully written book. Thank you. And I just want to acknowledge you. And thank Dude, you for being here today. I, I, last night, because I, I have a flight later today, um, we're, we're going to go on a little leg of our tour, third or fourth leg of our tour. Anyway, um, every time I have a flight, I have this dream that I'm late for my flight. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, in my dream, I'm like, oh, I got to like, I think I got to be at the airport at 430 and I haven't got packed yet. And I'm like doing all this. And I literally stopped in the middle of my dream and I'm like, dude, you are, you're so focused on that, <laughs> that I'm not even, uh, uh, I, I'm not appreciating the this. Mm-hmm. And if I could not worry about that, but it was funny because in the in this dream, like the idea of what your book talks about totally helped me to let go of that anxiety of of being late for my flight. So thank oh, you cool. very much for writing your book, man. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, y'all. We'll uh, we'll see you on the minimal. Well, I guess we probably saw you on the minimal. Love people, use things. We'll uh, talk soon. Thanks, patrons. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it